Who are some of the Deacon Jones Award watch list omissions and snubs? The SWAC is expected to win the Celebration Bowl by a media association, no matter who comes out of that conference, really. And then also there's some festivities around the FAMU versus University of North Carolina football game next week that are very important. Oh, yeah, it's Locked on HBCU. Play my music. You are Locked on HBCU. Your daily podcast covering HBCU sports. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. What's going on, family? Welcome back to another episode of the Locked On HBCU Podcast. Your number one daily one-stop shop for everything hbcu athletics monday through friday part of the locked on podcast network your team every day and i of course am darian gray aka the mouth of the south texas southern alum and former tsu herald sports editor thank you for going on this journey with me making locked on hbcu your first listen of the day every day and remember just because the mic cuts off does not mean that the journey is over it just means it's time to follow me on twitter at South Exclusives, we're not even trying to point to the graphic down below because I have no trust in my pointer finger. Now, on yesterday's episode, which if you have not checked out, please go do because I was very happy with that episode. It's my first episode post-COVID and my voice felt significantly better. So I'm very proud about that episode. So if you have not checked that out, please do that. Now, this is kind of a a sequel of sorts. It's not a continuation. It's not something I expected. It's a spinoff. There we go. It's better yet. It's a spinoff. And yesterday I was surprised with the lack of quarterbacks on the Deacon Jones award watch list. And today HBCU sports released 10 players that they felt like were notable omissions. Now I'm not a list maker. I don't make lists. Okay. But I do react to these lists. I do comment on these lists, but it's just not me to make them. Now, I don't know if HBCU Sports is trying to take that 49 to 59 and just add these 10 players, or if they're trying to take 10 players off, I don't know. You would have to ask them. As you know, yesterday I added two quarterbacks, but I took two uh, players off as well. So there's that. Now, I said we should have nine quarterbacks on this list, two from each conference, and I'll take Draylon Ellis as my independent out of Tennessee State. The Deacon Jones, excuse me, the Black College Football Hall of Fame said, no, we're going to give you five. And HBCU Sports came and split it right down the middle. I guess that's how negotiations work, right? You on this side, I'm on this side. Let's just meet in the middle. And that's exactly what we did. So you have seven quarterbacks on this list. If you add in the two quarterbacks in these two, excuse me, in these 10 omissions. And those quarterbacks are Andrew Body out of Texas Southern and then Quentin Williams out of Howard. Everybody knows how I feel about Andrew Body. I'm not going to go on about that right now. But Quentin Williams was interesting. Last year, he was a third team, all MEAC tied with Corey Fields. They both got that designation. Now, when it came to the preseason MEAC team, Corey Fields got that nod. Now, the reason I got to nine was the first and second team quarterback from each conference. According to, or in the words of HBCU Sports, they feel Quentin Williams is very underrated. So I would assume that they would think he's the second, if not the first best quarterback in that conference. And it would make sense how he is on this list right here. Now, as we go through these 10 omissions, if you didn't read the 49 people, because I didn't do that on yesterday's episode. But if you didn't read the 49 players, it's probably going to be 
I'm going to say three to five players on this list that you're just scratching your head and saying they weren't on this list. I think that Andrew Body is one of those players. Let's get to three players who I think are also undeniably on that, that list. Jason Dumas, defensive tackle out of Southern. Isaiah Guthrie, safety out of Delaware State. And then Aubrey Miller, linebacker from Jackson State. The reason that I specify these three players and lump them all together is that also on this week's episode or this one of this week's episodes, we've had a lot of really good episodes this week, right? But on this week, we talked about the NCAA's list of best HBCU player at every single position. Dumas, Guthrie, and Miller were all on there for linebacker, uh, safety, and then also defensive linemen, respectfully. This is three notable missions that really shakes me up. I don't think that Dumas is going to have a learning curve switching from Prairie View to Southern. I don't expect that Guthrie is going to have a fall, lap, fall off after a fantastic freshman season in which he led the MEAC in interceptions. And I don't think that Aubrey Miller suddenly is going to learn or forget how to tackle. He led the SWAC in tackles. He had top 10 stats in tackles for loss and sacks. This is a very disruptive player in a multitude of ways. And they were all voted as best at their position. Notable omissions. I believe that those three plus body or four that, to me, were very head scratching. Now let's continue rolling with our list. And we'll go with another linebacker just to keep it at the best position on the football field. And I'm talking about Jacob Roberts out of North Carolina A&T. This would give A&T their only player on the list. They were the only conference that has an HBCU in it with the Big South that was not represented. Even Hampton had a couple of players. A&T did not. Um, last year, he was one of the Big South players, and he had a lot of impact on the defensive and the special team side. He had four blocked kicks. That's remarkable. Four block kicks, that, that's a skill. You're wreaking havoc on the special teams if you're getting four of those. On the defensive side, the main job, right? We talk about taking care of the main thing first, right? Let's go ahead and eat our entree before we get to our sides. He had 84 tackles. He had 12 tackles for a loss, five interceptions, or excuse me, five sacks. If he had five interceptions, he better be on this list as a linebacker. But he had five sacks, and he also had an interception. So depending on who you are, that might pale in comparison to his um, blocked kicks, but it was still impressive nonetheless. Brandon Savage, not only does he have a fantastic name, he also is a pretty good defensive back, and he had a lot of ball production last year. He was second in the MEAC in interceptions with three. He tied that with his teammate as well. But then also he, he was tied, or excuse me, he was second in the MEAC in pass deflections. So when you're looking at overall ball production, you have 13 plays on ball at the defensive back position. This is impressive, and you will see why, you know, most people are saying, well, he should have been on there. Semyon Wilkerson, running back, Jackson State. Savage was out of Norfolk State, excuse me. But Wilkerson out of Jackson State. Now, his freshman season, he played for Delaware State. Good running back. First team all MEAC running back. As a true freshman, the idea is that he's only going to grow, and he's in a situation where I don't think that running the ball will be the main focus of Jackson State's offense. However, I do believe there is an initiative to be able to get the ball rolling on the ground in a way that they did not last season. So with that, there will be a focus and an emphasis on getting Wilkerson the ball he just won't be the focal point of the offense. So it'll be interesting to see how he goes from there. Just a couple of more 
players as we wrap up the list. And that's Sonyata Anderson out of Grambling State defensive lineman, one of the more disruptive forces on the Grambling defense. And we talked about him about a week ago. All these names, if you've been following, for the most part, are pretty consistent. They're pretty familiar to you, especially as we preview the season. He's on that East-West Shrine game watch list. He's on the Senior Bowl watch list. And it's interesting to me because I won't take away the credibility of the Black College Football Hall of Fame. Never that. It's just interesting how the priority of who you put on there, right? Because these are players that the Senior Bowl, Shrine List, NCAA, multiple different publications, they view very highly. However, the Black College Football Hall of Fame did not put them in that list. Now, I griped about the punter being there. So I'm always looking like these are too good of players for you to just say a punter is going ahead of them. Mm, I don't know. I also singled out a kick returner. However, Brandon Codrington is another fine kick returner, a return specialist, and one of the better ones. You're looking at 15 yards per punt return, 22 and a half yards per kickoff return. He also had 40 tackles, over 40 tackles and four pass breakups. So not only is he dynamic when you punt the ball to him and he had that big time play in the Swag Miak challenge, it's not just that. He also impacts the game on defense. Now, obviously, the return specialist is going to get a lot of eyes, especially when you're getting 20 yards of kick, kick return. But he also imp impacted the game on defense. So those are your 10 players. And listen, it's hard to argue them. I think there's three to five players where it's like, how did you not make the list? Is there anybody that you feel should have made the list that either was not a part of the 49, was not part of the, the 10 people I just said were an omission via HBCU sports, or maybe just somebody that you just want to say, hey, I just want to mention this player, whether they were there or not. Let me know in the comments below. Let me know on Twitter. Y'all know how it goes. South exclusives, still not pointing at it, though. Now, going forward, we're going to be talking about the HBCU Pro Sports Media Association because they believe, overwhelmingly, the SWAC will win the Celebration Bowl. Kind of interesting, kind of not. I'm going to tell you why it's a surprise and not a surprise at the same time. But first, I got a serious message for you. Why are we still driving drunk after the invention of Uber, the invention of Lyft, rideshare? Let's let's hunker down or bunker down on this. I don't care how many drinks you have. Me personally, I don't even like to drink when I go out. I don't. I don't. I I'm 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 safe that way. I'm cautious that way because if you think the worst thing that can happen is, oh, I get a citation or I get a ticket or you know, I might have to go to jail or I might get my, my license revoked. No, the worst thing that could happen is you take a life. The worst thing that could happen is you impact somebody that is not you. That's one of the worst things that can happen when you drive drunk. It's bigger than just, oh, I might get pulled over and lose my license. No, we have rideshare, Lyft, Uber. There's too many options to still be driving drunk. You have people who care for you. If you see somebody driving drunk or excuse me, you see somebody who's been drinking too much, take the keys, take the keys. Take them back home. Take her back home. Take them back to the spot tomorrow. It's that simple. Some people can't help themselves. You got to help them for them. It's just that simple. Listen, either drive sober or get pulled over. We keep on rolling on today's episode of Locked on HBCU, and I appreciate you making us your first listen of the day every day now. 
The Ultimate College Football Preview is here. A seven-episode preview with the college, local, and Odyssey insiders. These are the opinions that you need to have to get ready for the college football season. Search for Ultimate College Football Preview on your Odyssey app, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcast. Also, I'd like to give you the word of the day, which is reek, not as in smelly, but reek as in to bring about or cause something that is harmful or damaging. And we talked about how Brandon Roberts was wreaking havoc on the special teams unit for North Carolina. Or excuse me, Jacob Roberts was wreaking havoc on the special teams unit for North Carolina A&T. Now I want to talk about the HBCU Pro Sports Media Association. They believe that the SWAC will win the, the Celebration Bowl. Now, the reason I say this is interesting slash not interesting, surprising slash not surprising. The reason I say this is because Let's start off with the surprising side. The SWAC has not looked good in this event. They just haven't. They've only won one time. The MEAC has had the SWAC's number when we're talking about the Celebration Bowl. However, at the same time, it's not surprising because let's be real. In most people's minds, the best team going into the season is Jackson State. That's most people's mind. The big three is JSU, FAMU, and then South Carolina State. I'm not sure if you ask the majority of people FAMU or South Carolina State, which one they'll put above the other. I do know that most people will likely say JSU at number one, but other than that, it's kind of a toss-up. We'll see what the what the association thinks about that. And, of course, it's just sports media, writers, analysts, who are all giving their opinion on how this HBCU landscape is going to shake out. I'm not going to go through every single poll. Instead, I'm going to only give you the people who got votes to win their conference or division. And let's start off with the MEAC because it's a smaller conference. South Carolina State, by and far, is the favorite to win this division. Out of the 20 media members who gave votes, and all of these numbers are out of 20, they got 16 of those votes. That left just four for the rest of the five teams. You can't even give every team in the MEAC a vote after South Carolina State came and took all of that, right? But Norfolk State got two. Central got one. Howard got one. So that's how it shakes out. South Carolina State getting 16. Norfolk at two, North Carolina Central at one, and Howard at one as well. Going forward, you got Jackson State and FAMU dominating the SWAC East. And that's how it is. I think those are the two favorites in the conference. So, and they're in the same division. I would love if they were on different sides and could meet up, but that's not the case. I'm okay with that not being the case. But I will say this you are going to be looking at Jackson State getting 14 and then FAMU getting six votes. And this is very important that we remember, and I will call back to just how many votes that FAMU got to win their division. On the other side, it's significantly more divided. You got the big three on that side as well, and that's Alcorn, who had 10 votes, Southern, who had eight votes, and then you had Grambling, who had one vote, and a surprise vote for Texas Southern. Somebody in there got a little bit of sense. I don't know who it was, but if you're listening, you can tell me at South Exclusives. I won't tell anybody your identity. But I just want to know and I want to I want to digitally shake your hand. Shout out to Apple for allowing you to change colors on the shake hand emoji. It's about stinking time. I wasn't even using it because they didn't allow me to change to my complexion. I'm just I'm just I'm just being honest. OK, I ain't want no yellow hands. I can customize everything now. I got too accustomed to changing uh, emojis, but that's neither here nor there. The point is, Alcorn had 10. Southern had eight. Grambling and Texas Southern had one. Now. When you're looking at who's expected to win the conference, 
Alcorn drops down. Those 10 people who thought they'd win the division, now that goes to only one who believes they can win the conference. Nobody believes that Southern can win the conference. Not a soul of the eight people who picked them. That's a big drop off. Grambling, the one person who picked them to win the division, also expects them to win the conference. And Texas Southern is also a team, but it's only one. There's no expectation for them to win the conference. However, competing in the division for me as an alum is something that we can already champion and feel good about if that is the case. When it comes to Jackson State, their number drops down from 14 believers to 12 believers, just a slight knockdown, right? So all corn and grambling, they're expected to, to beat them. But fam, you, all six people who said fam, you is going to win the East, expect them to win the whole swag. And all of those people expect them to win the Celebration Bowl. So there's an unwavering devotion to those who believe in FAMU that they're really the best team in black college football. No matter where you're talking about division, conference, doesn't matter. They are the top dog, right? And then Grambling, they're one team that believes in them. Unwavering. Howard, the one voter that believed in them. Unwavering. Those are the teams who, as opposed to everybody else, those are only three teams who, rocked with their whose voters rocked with them from the start all the way to the finish every single voter now jackson state comes out with the most celebration bowl victory votes with eight so they're two above famu however i'm just saying you look at famu's people they really believe it while some of the jackson state people kind of fell off here and there as we continue looking at it south carolina state Yes, the South Carolina State Bulldogs, who got 16 MEAC championship votes, only got two Celebration Bowl votes. And that is stunning. That is a supreme drop-off. So when you're looking at the big three of Jackson State, FAMU, and South Carolina State, the hierarchy, according to the association, is clear. It's JSU, FAMU, South Carolina State. Now, Grambling, like I said, excuse me, Grambling and Alcorn, both got votes, and then Howard and Norfolk both got a vote as well. Overall, it turns out to a 16 SWAC votes to win the Celebration Bowl versus four MEAC votes. Overwhelmingly, no matter who you're talking about that member is, the association expects that this is the year that the SWAC wins the championship for the first time since Grambling did it a couple of years ago and gets their second overall Celebration Bowl victory as we wrap up today's episode we're going to be talking about famu versus north carolina excuse me i almost said north carolina nt famu versus university of north carolina and all of the festivities that are going to be going around next week's game before we get into that let me tell you about bet online because bet online is the number one place for all of your wagering needs i don't care what your sport is you want to talk about basketball you want to bet on the nba it's, or college sports, but if you want to bet on the NBA, who just recently released some schedule, I've seen some schedule leaks, and then also they released their Christmas Day games. I thought this was a fantastic stretch of games. Unfortunately, I'm loyal to football, and I will be watching the NFL on that day, but the games that are going on for the NBA, top tier. Want to put some money down on that? That's fine. I just mentioned the NFL. You want to put some money down on that? It doesn't have to just be the futures and what's going to happen at the end of the season. You can go week by week. Just make sure you're doing it on Bet Online. They are the number one place for all your wagering need and also the fastest and easiest way to wage on all of your sports. Bet Online, where the game starts. 
We're wrapping up today's episode of Locked on HBCU, and we're talking about FAMU versus the University of North Carolina. And listen, the result of the game, it's probably not even, it's not top two things that I'm looking for in this matchup. And it honestly might not even be top three. I don't know. But today on today, I can tell you that that is not what the focus is. I'm not even focusing on the game itself. I'm focusing on the things around the game, the surroundings of this FAMU versus North Carolina matchup. Now, I'm going to call them UNC because we're going to be referencing the state of North Carolina, and I don't want to get it confused with the actual university. So when I'm talking about the university, I'm going to say UNC. UNC has labeled this the celebration, the HBCU celebration game. And I want to give them a little golf clap because I think that it would be quite easy for you to just say, okay, fam, you's coming. We just going to represent some fam, you people, and we're going to call it a day. But UNC is in a state that is rich with HBCU roots. And in this central Winston-Salem state and North Carolina A&T are all well represented when we're talking about the honorary captain. So I'm glad that they didn't just say, yeah, we 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 got fam you here. That's our, our representation, and that's why we call it HB celebration. No, bring some of these North Carolina HBC roots. Let it be North Carolina HBCU culture and Florida HBCU culture meshing together. And that's what I'm here for, right? So let's get into some of these honorary captains and the closest connection between UNC and the HBCU culture here is Rod Broadway. And Rod Broadway played defensive tackle for the Tar Heels before venturing into coaching. And when he did that, he was mostly in North Carolina. He did spend some time, I think four seasons. <laughs> he did spend four seasons at Grambling in which he won a Black National Championship, but he won five total. Only one was at Grambling and he won at every stop. So he was a very successful coach as he ventured from being a player to being a member of the North Carolina Sports Hall of Fame. And he gets that from his tenure at UNC, but then also coaching at Winston-Salem, or excuse me, North Carolina Central. And then he also co coached at North Carolina A&T, and that's probably where a lot of people know him from. When you're looking at his Central resume, he had two national championships. He had the same thing at A&T. But at A&T, he had the first D1AA or FCS HBCU undefeated season in 2017 the year that was crazy it was a great year and it was one of the most, more dominant years that we've seen in a long time in addition to that he's also knocked off multiple multiple fbs performers he's also knocked off appalachian state when they were at the height of their fcs term this is a coach who really revitalized the north carolina a&t program when he got there he spent seven seasons there, and he actually retired. He was the third winningest head coach, or excuse me, not winningest, but the third highest win percentage, because there is a difference. But he had the third highest win percentage in FCS history. This Rob Broadway, North Carolina roots are deep. Let's go on to Bill Hayes, another honorary captain who, reads, who roots are deep in North Carolina. He, as a head coach, stayed in the state of North Carolina for 26 years. 11 years at Winston-Salem State, 15 years at North Carolina A&T. No doubt an icon in the city of Winston-Salem. They have a field, William Bill Hayes Field, in Bowman Gray Stadium. So 
in honor of him, you can't not have Carolina HBCU roots and not talk about Coach Hayes. He had a lot of success. He had a two-year run where he went undefeated and it resulted in Winston-Salem State being the number one D2 school in the nation. We're talking about winning more games than anybody else at Salem at A&T. Let's respect this man in his in his resume because these North Carolina A&T roots are excuse me these North Carolina roots need to be on celebrated celebration excuse me these North Carolina HBC roots need to be celebrated as well as Florida and that is where Rudy Hubbard comes in and here you have your Florida representation specifically with Fam U and the history of Fam U is very rich and Coach Hubbard is connected to that now with that. That being the case, you cannot talk about the FCS. You cannot talk about the D1AA playoffs without speaking about FAMU because they won the inaugural playoffs. And the coach of that team was Rudy Hubbard. And that was in the middle of a three-year stretch that is crazy, right? So in 77, you win all of your games. You are 11-0. Mind you, there was no D1AA at the time. So that's why we made that specification with Coach Broadway earlier. But you go 11-0 and in 77. Now they start this new subdivision, the D1AA, which ends up becoming the FCS. That's in 78. You win that championship. You don't quite go undefeated, but you do go 12-1. and So you have a really great season yet again. Now in 79, you follow that season up with a victory over in-state powerhouse, University of Miami. You're talking about going undefeated, winning the first ever playoff championship, not in your school's history, in the division's history, and then knocking off an FBS program. That is a phenomenal three-year run and one that has cemented his legacy for sure, right? It's a crowning achievement, but outside of just the honorary captains, that HBCU flavor is not just going to be on the field. It's not just about bringing in old coaches, not just about bringing in a team in the FAMU Rattlers of 2022. You also have that flavor coming for the students, not just student athletes. So the HBCU heroes are going to be throwing a career fest. There's going to be a tech talk. And then also you're going to have the, for, uh, excuse me, for, almost messed it up. How are you going to do that? Anyway, you're also going to have the sororities and fraternities who are going to be having stroll offs. They're going to be, come on, man. They're going to be stepping. It's going to be flavor out this world on Chapel Hill. UNC is not an HBCU. Nobody's going to call them an HBCU after this. <laughs> However, there is going to be a lot of flair and a lot of the HBCU culture that is going to be on this campus in a couple of days because the tech talk and the career fest is on Friday while the game is on Saturday. So on a two week period, you might even have a little bit of an HBCU takeover at University of North Carolina. I cannot wait for it. I think it's great. The athletes are represented and then the also, and also the students are getting an opportunity at the same time. So I am here for that. Now, I appreciate you for making us your first listen of the day. I want to give a quick little note. Mississippi Valley State said that they're Stadium is closed until further notice starting August 26th. I hope to come on here tomorrow and tell you what that means for them. It's a developing story. If we cannot come on here for Friday's episode, then we will come on here for Monday's episode and discuss that. I just want to make sure we have all of the facts and most of the story before we actually break down what this means.
Now, in the meantime, in between time, I appreciate you for checking us out. Your second listen needs to go to all of our Locked On conference shows. So if you're trying to catch up with me, you can follow me. That's why we don't look. That's why we do not point at the graphic. I was doing so good, but it's okay. Y'all know what it is. It's South Exclusive. Follow me on Twitter, and let's chop it up, guys. In the meantime, in between time, until the next time that we hear each other, family, take care. Stay blessed. Peace.